Hi, welcome to a bunch of asterisks, where everything is probably more convoluted than it needs to be. Here we aim to understand everyday concepts in greater depth, and every episode we will look in, at an idea from several different perspectives and through the lenses of different disciplines to see if it is really as simple as it seems. We try to use publicly accessible information and media for this podcast so that you can examine these subjects on your own, and hopefully through this experience, we can all realize something new about something we already know. I'm Ari. And I'm Lindsay, and today we're going to talk about the most certain thing in life. We're talking about death? Nope. Taxes. Walt Disney managed to escape death. And I mean, you can argue that Trump managed to escape taxes, too. He got me there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, the first word that I learned in English was taxes. Oh, wow. Uh, I came to America not knowing much of English and I went to school and just sat there not understanding anything until I saw this word on the projector that ended with an X and I'm like ooh that's uncommon a word with an X in it turns out that word was taxes that's apropos um, but speaking of American education uh, mine hasn't taught me sufficiently so what are taxes surprisingly that answer is quite hard to answer uh, we can get some semblance of an idea by looking back at the history of taxes. The earliest record of taxes was in ancient Egypt. At the time, taxes weren't collected in cash, but rather a percentage of the crops that you grow from farmers and labor that you have to give to the government, such mm -hmm. as building the pyramids. As long as they weren't built by aliens. <laughs> yeah, okay. Conspiracy theories aside. Uh, <laughs> in the Bible, in Genesis, it was quoted that a fifth of the crops were given to the Pharaoh and the other four-fifths the farmer may keep as seeds or as food for themselves or their children and their households. And that rings through most of the history where taxes are used by rulers to fund their own palaces, mausoleums, wars, really essential services of the government, basically. <laughs> yeah, mausoleums sound really essential. So I guess what we're saying is that a basic definition of taxes is a payment to the government in order to secure collective services. Quote unquote, yes, kind of. In history is more used by those with power to oppress those without power. For example, mm -hmm. during the French Revolution, well, before the French Revolution, actually, the people who paid the most taxes were the poor, the lower commoners, the, the proletariat, basically. Mm -hmm. And the nobility and the clergy rarely ever had to pay taxes. And instead, they took tax money to start their own wars, to fund their own lavish parties, to make up for everyone sort of thing. Yeah. I don't know if I'd exactly consider that tax then. It kind of seems like stealing to me. I don't know. I mean, even today, some radical right conservative ultra-reactionary individual still calls for the abolition of the income tax, saying that it's stealing from them. Yes. Taxation is theft, I believe, they say. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I guess you can't win. It's probably better now especially in democratic governments, for example, social security and welfare take half of government spending. So slightly mm -hmm. better than lavish parties for all the rich people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. But it surprises me that even when these services are rendered to people, how could you still call taxation theft when you clearly are seeing these benefits to Tax all of society been... and yourself? Tax has always been controversial. Like the American Revolution. The British thought, oh, hey, we just fought this war to defend you and you got all of this land. Now pay some taxes. And America's like, no. <laughs> it was kind of not to be unpatriotic here. Oh, boy. 
A British individual who lived in Britain paid 26 times the tax money compared to an American resident at the time of the American Revolution. 26 <laughs> times. So, you know, it's always been controversial. <laughs> Rebellions and revolutions and everything in between. Of course, there were also the t-shirts. Well, yeah, that's that our rigorous research for this episode led to us Googling some tax-based t-shirts. And uh, we found some pretty incredible results, I think we would say. My favorite is still Daddy's Little Tax Deduction. Yeah, I liked that one. I also like uh, Can't Keep Calm, It's Tax Season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know. What's the feeling? Is the feeling in America generally anti-tax? It can't be said that way, but at the same time, Americans do quite love their wars, or at least government spending. Maybe not wars. That's harder to say. But they do love government spending on defense. And wars spend the most money out of any other thing until recently, with the advent of Social Security. Basically, mm-hmm. income tax actually began because of the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln signed the first progressive income tax into law at the very beginning of the Civil War, but Congress let it expire in 1871, and it was later reintroduced as the 16th Amendment. Of course, it was pretty low mm-hmm. until World War I. It was like 1% to 7% as the brackets of how much you earned. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, versus during World War One, it was 67% for the highest earners. Of course, after the war, that dropped back to 25%. Well, yeah, and then the stock market crashed. <laughs> yep, and then immediately the taxes went back up because the New Deal. 79% on the highest bracket. Oh, oh my gosh. Could you imagine proposing that to <laughs> rich people now? They'd go crazy. <laughs> I think Mitch um, McConnell is going to blow a gasket. Get the, ooh, I don't want to see that. I don't want to be there. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't want either. Yeah, so the taxes that we have now really aren't the highest in history, and they've been higher and basically they change with the needs of the government. But we've been focusing on the highest rate of taxes, but also we need to consider that's not equally distributed throughout society, right? Like we've been talking about that 79% rate for people in the Great Depression. Not everybody in the Great Depression was paying 79% tax. It was just the rich people. Yeah, of course. Most people were paying around 15%, but that's usually what draws the most attention. Mm-hmm. If everyone paid 79%, that would be ridiculous. During the Great Depression, actually, the lowest earners paid around 4%, and that rate only ended at around $10,000, which today's money is 150 k So oh, wow. it's a pretty good deal. <laughs> okay. The system is set up in a way so that if your income is higher, you will always get more money at the end, and no one paying less taxes than you will get more money, than you, basically. But as you earn more, it's going to be harder for you to earn that little bit extra. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the percentages increase. That's called progressive tax. The big buzzword in politics is whether the progressive taxes are fair and to what extent. Which I, I would argue that they are. Because if you start off thinking of life as a lottery, where some people are born into really uh, rich families, to be frank, and others are born into neighborhoods with really low economic development and a few educational opportunities. It really makes sense that the government might have a responsibility to give people a fair shot to equalize this what's called the birth lottery. John Rawls used the term uh, veil of ignorance to refer to this idea, basically saying that the government can't know about the circumstances of your birth and that the tax system should correct these injustices that are inherent in the system. 
but on the other hand, people argue that it's unfair for different people to pay different amount in taxes since we're all equal in society. The fire department doesn't come to my house 27 times faster just because I pay 27 times more tax than them. Mm-hmm. One of the most famous examples of this idea of more equal tax for equal benefits sort of idea came from Reagan's philosophy when he established the economic recovery tax of 1981, which lowered tax rates across the board, but especially for the wealthy. The wealthy got a 20% cut in tax rate compared to much lower for the less wealthy. Yeah, well, and that's what they call like Reaganomics, right? It's basically trickle-down economics. Yes, Reaganomics did include a couple of other things, but the main idea behind it is trickle-down economics. It basically means cutting taxes for the rich so that they have more money to invest into the economy and to create more jobs for everyone else because of these investments. Yeah, well, of course, more than a few people would argue that trickle-down economics doesn't really work, um, at least not in the way that's described by its proponents. I mean, tax cuts for the wealthy are quite effective in certain cases. For example, Hollywood encourages private citizens to take private risks and invest in things that they like themselves because they have the money to do so. Jackie Chan once said that we, as in China, have Kung Fu and we have pandas, but we can never make a film like Kung Fu Pandas. That sort of reflects... Yeah, I love it too. But it's sort of reflective of that idea where... Because of private investment and because of large accumulation of wealth, these projects are possible because they pull resources from free individuals and reduce the perceived risk. And these projects benefits everyone by creating jobs, everything from actors to 3D animators to story writers that aren't millionaires and billionaires. And they get these jobs because these millionaires and billionaires are investing in these projects. Right. Um, I guess the other side of that is that putting more money in the hands of these millionaires and billionaires isn't always the best way to do it because the money is being spent by them in a way that widens income disparity um, just based on their own self-interest because the people who invest the money, these millionaires and billionaires, aren't doing it for the sole purpose of creating jobs and bettering the economy, but to earn more money for themselves. So at the end of the day, they'll pay back all the people that they have to. They'll pay for the animators and the story writers, but all the profit goes right back to them and then they just get richer. And that doesn't directly translate into higher salaries for everybody else and serves to widen the wealth gap in that way. At a time when over one in six children live in poverty, it doesn't really seem like a logical allocation of resources. But what is the alternative for private investment? It allowed America to have a much larger economy than any other country in Europe could possibly hope to have. China followed this model and erased half a billion people from poverty in the last 20 years alone. Yeah, well, in China, the wealth gap still causes a lot of problems. Um, Upward mobility is very uncommon, if not basically impossible. And these social pressures due to income disparity and oppression are causing really high suicide rates, especially among the poor. And plus, a lot of economic theories suggest that having a more progressive tax can help the economy as well. Like, the idea is that it's much more likely for 100 people to each spend $100 at any given moment than for one person to spend $10,000. So putting the the money in the hands of more people actually grows the economy far more. And this is also um, why it's important to consume goods, especially during the COVID pandemic, basically so the economy doesn't collapse, right? If more wealth is circulated instead of being saved and invested in big business, then more individuals benefit. I guess in the end, it's more of a balance between the two. 
how we grow the economy, but still allow those in lower socioeconomic classes to share in the fruits of capitalism. I do agree that it still requires intervention to make sure that the most vulnerable among us are not left behind. Yeah, on a sort of separate, but I guess related note, but it would also be possible to promote both equality of opportunity and economic growth with a universal basic income or UBI. Basically, if people are guaranteed a paycheck every month, they're much more likely to spend or invest the money that they actually earn and grow the economy that way. Let's save UBI debate for next week. I feel like there's quite a leap between taxation and UBI. There are several questions of how, when, and how much we should contend with, and those are quite presumptuous and speculative at the moment, unlike death or taxes. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is a little bit of a swing. So I suppose that means that it's time for us to wrap this one up. If you want to waste any more time on this week's topic, the article we, re- the article we recommend is by C. Eugene Sturro. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. That. Don't um, ask me. <laughs> But it's called Can Flat Taxes Be Progressive? And it goes into some of the more nuanced points that we haven't really considered here, like the fact that a flat flat tax rate, as in not progressive, can also fund big governments and that progressivity could be introduced in the way that the tax money is used rather than necessarily how it's being collected. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and that you'll join us again on a bunch of asterisks. Good day.